morning. Today's scripture is taken from Psalms 30, a psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I sit in my prosperity. I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my moaning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. This is the word of the Lord. A very good morning, everyone. <clears throat> Try that again. A very good morning, everyone. Uh, the Lord bless you. All right, so today is, of course, a very uh, special occasion for us. Uh, so if you are here for the first time, whether on site or online, uh, we want to wa warmly welcome you and appreciate you for joining us for our 37th uh, anniversary celebrations. Now, some of you may know uh, that today is personally a very special day for me as well. Uh, today is my first wedding anniversary and uh, the beginning, yes. Praise the Lord of uh, my second year of marriage with Crystal. So now you may be wondering why I'm preaching on my anniversary. Is this good or not? Well, I am preaching today because I forgot that 7 November is my wedding anniversary. <laughs> the cardinal sins of uh, marriage... And uh, my first try, and I broke it, ruined it. Such shame. So similarly, if you came in here today and you forgot that uh, today is anniversary Sunday, you know, I want to tell you that there's no condemnation, uh, no, no bitter feelings, right? Uh, for me, I mean, I was just thinking that if I can forget my own wedding anniversary, even though I'm married to the most beautiful, most incredible, most divine uh, woman who, <laughs> wow who stirs up my heart and who sets my soul ablaze, then who am I to judge? Praise God. She, I mean, my wife really hates this, actually, by the way, just to let y'all know. When I say this kind of thing in public, she really hates it. But happy anniversary, yep. So uh, what I'm trying to say, in, I mean, in essence, is that it's never too late to join in our uh, anniversary celebrations. And I, I do hope that this sermon will help you uh, and help us in that uh, desire to celebrate as well. So today's passage is really interesting. I think it'll help us a lot. Uh, today's psalm begins with this inscription, a psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. So 
If King David would celebrate the completion and dedication of the temple by writing a song, by writing this passage of scripture, then I've got to ask ourselves, then how much more should we celebrate as we remember how God has birthed our church? Because you see, you know, if you look back at the temple, the temple was glorious. I mean, it, in today's terms, it would have cost billions of dollars. It was huge. It was an architectural marvel. Uh, every day, there were countless sacrifices being offered, and there were these, uh, uh, you know, just a crazy amount of priests who were dedicated to the temple, and all of that was amazing. But then Jesus comes along in Matthew 12, verse 6, and he compares himself with the temple, and he says this, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And Jesus was talking about himself. He is the greater temple. And we, Agape Baptist Church, we are his church. Ephesians tells us that Jesus became the foundation, the head, the cornerstone of the church, and that God is growing this church into a holy temple, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so the reason that we don't see any sacrifices being offered today in our hall, there's blood everywhere and so on, is that we don't need it. Jesus became the once and for all sacrifice for sin. And the reason that we don't have an exclusive team of priests who are serving in our church this morning is because in Christ, every believer is now a priest and a king unto God. So what we have in this church is incomparably superior to even the Temple of Solomon. And so if King David would write a special song to celebrate the completion of, of the Temple in the Old Testament, then how much more should we be celebrating that God has set up a far more glorious temple here at Dorset Road as an outpost for His kingdom, as a lighthouse in the darkness, and as a refuge for the lost, not only in Pekio, but all around Singapore and even beyond. So this morning, let's come with hearts of gratitude and let's get excited about commemorating this 37th year that God has blessed Agape with. Now, there are so many things, you know, if you think about it, so many things that we can be thankful for, right? Over the past year, uh, you know, as, as I think more about it, I realize that it's been the simple things, you know, the ordinary things that have been especially praiseworthy. The face-to-face -face conversations we are able to have in our church, uh, the chance to meet newcomers at our services, seeing the babies and children growing up in our midst Sunday by Sunday, having people clapping along, lifting their hands during worship, hearing the prayer of confession resounding all around us, receiving the preach word together. I know some of us, you know, we, we know of some people around us who, you know, when they're listening to the sermon, they really agree, they're nodding, you know, they're nodding a lot, and you see that, you're encouraged. Some others, you know, they're thinking about things during the sermon, they're going, hmm, and that thoughtfulness is also very encouraging. And then there are some people, you know, I mean, who just laugh usually during the sermon, and that's also encouraging, I mean, at the appropriate times of the sermon, of course. And then there's also taking the Lord's Supper together. And there's this, that, that messy, messy sound of the communion cups being ripped open. Crack, 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 crack. And then there's a the silence as we take the elements. And then hearing Psalm 103 being joyfully declared. No, I think one of the things we must be grateful for uh, is the regular weekly gathering together to worship God each Sunday. You know, how often we take for granted our Sunday worship, but our weekly times of corporate worship is actually such a blessing from our God 
a blessing that has really shone through in the midst of this gloomy COVID season. So as we look at Psalm 30, you know what, we're going we're gonna to be looking at uh, celebrating God's blessing of corporate worship. And we're going to be looking at four divine gifts that God has granted us through our weekly corporate worship each Sunday. And they are the gift of celebration in sorrow, of praise in pain, of clarity in calamity. Oh, sorry, I already went to the last one. And of uh, gratitude for grace. So let's get started with the first gift, uh, the gift of celebration in sorrow. So this psalm was written as a song uh, to be sung at the completion and the dedication of the temple. Now what is surprising is that David doesn't write about the beauty of the temple, you know, about the architecture, how amazing this is and how amazing that is, and it was magnificent, a magnificent temple. But instead, David begins this song with some very dark situations. He says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. So David's song is about dangerous enemies, about falling deathly ill, It's about being on the verge of death even. I've got to ask ourselves, why is David leading the people to sing such a sorrowful song on such a happy occasion? They're celebrating the completion of the temple. Why are they singing about these kind of things? And if you imagine with me, all right, imagine that you're you're there, you're at the temple event, and uh, you're singing together, and perhaps you're actually one of those who, you know, you're in a situation where your enemies are trying to destroy you. All right, you're having that experience, but now you're singing with everyone else, God, you have not let my foes rejoice over me. Now, perhaps you're there at the temple and you are terribly ill, you have a horrible disease, and yet you're singing with everyone else, Lord, you have healed me. Perhaps you are on the verge of death for whatever reason, but then you're singing, you have brought up my soul from Sheol, you restored me to life. Now, if you look at the words, there's kind of a cruel irony to these lyrics in Psalm 30. So why is David highlighting all these sorrows? And I think the reason for that is because worshipping God is not about forgetting your fears. It's not about denying reality around us. We worship God in the midst of a broken, sickly, and sorrowful world. And I'm sure we can all relate. You know, how many times we've come to, sun, uh, come to worship on a Sunday morning and we sing about the freedom, the love, the grace, the goodness, the, the confidence, the purpose, the joy that we have in Christ, when in reality our circumstances are telling us that we have nothing. But notice that as David brings up these sorrowful realities, he doesn't lead the people to commiserate or to mourn, but instead David leads the people in verse 1, to sing, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up. And this is a beautiful picture. On one hand, the psalm acknowledges that we are lowly, that we often get stuck in the pit of misery, but then we also get to see God stooping down and drawing us up out of our sorrows. And because God has drawn us up, now we lift His name on high. 
we extol God. We raise His name above ourselves uh, like a banner, as we would do if, with our national flag at perhaps the Olympics. And David is telling us that this is what the temple is about. It's about coming honestly before God and experiencing His lovely and His loving salvation and then lifting His name on high. And that's what it's like, right? Every time we gather for worship on a Sunday, we hear about Jesus. We hear about how through Him we have been scooped up and drawn up out of our sorrows and placed onto solid ground. And we celebrate this. We extol the name of our God. We lift Him on high, high above our situations, high above our sorrows, high above ourselves. And this is beautiful because it is the Christian's privilege to celebrate regularly in the midst of life's many sorrows. No one else gets to do this except the ones who believe in Jesus. You know, just two Sundays ago, I, I, was, uh, I was giving the announcements and so on, and I took some time to, to talk about the COVID situation. And I specifically addressed the elderly in our midst, and I told them, you know what, the, the COVID situation is quite alarming, it's not, it's not too great. And I, I said to them, you know, the, the pastors, the elders, and the pastoral staff, we completely understand if you decide to catch the live stream on Sunday, all right, and, and if you decide not to come for our physical services on Sunday, no, there is no need to feel guilty or condemned or anything like that. Now, guess what happened the following Sunday after that? A whole group of elderly Agapians showed up for our Sunday services. Right? That's the kind of church we have. And uh, that honestly, I mean, as a pastor, it just gladdened my heart so much. Because it's like these elderly Agapians were saying, I will extol the Lord because He has drawn me up out of my many sorrows. They were exercising their, their Christian privilege to celebrate regularly in the midst of life's many sorrows. So praise the Lord. What a divine gift we have to be able to come on a Sunday to celebrate even the midst, in the midst of many sorrows. So that's the first divine gift. Let's now look at the second. Uh, the gift of praise in pain. So in the first three verses, uh, David leads the people to sing by faith, to extol the Lord even in the midst of, of, of difficult times and to celebrate God over their many sorrows. Now in verse 4, David renews his call to the people saying, Sing praise to the Lord, O you His saints, and give thanks to His holy name. And David calls the worshippers as one congregation to praise the Lord with music and song and to give thanks to God. And David, the reason that David makes this call, we see in verse 5, for God's anger is but for a moment and His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Now, we look closely, we, we kind of see that these lyrics are quite strange. Right? It's a happy occasion. We're celebrating that the temple is done. But then, here we are, uh, David is talking about the anger of God. He's talking about the weeping. He's talking about the dark night of the soul. And what is David doing? Now, I believe David is leading the people to look beyond uh, the external beauty of the temple to the divine nature of God. Yes, the temple, you know, it was so beautiful, it was glorious, it was shiny and all of that, but 
then we look at our God through that and we say, how much more glorious is our God? And similarly, on this anniversary Sunday, you know, we may be tempted to look at our accomplishments, right? To pull out all the numbers and the fantastic st- statistics and to recount our initiatives, our outreaches, our successes, and so on. But we've got to look through all of that and we've got to see our God. He is the holy God whose discipline and anger is roused by our sin. And as long as there is sin, we will feel the pain of His discipline. There will be nights of weeping. But God is also good. He is so kind to sinners like us. And so even in His hot anger, it is just but a brief moment. But His favor is for our whole lives. Our weeping may go on for a short night, but He will gladden our hearts as surely as the morning dawns. And so as we often declare in our church, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. So this is what we've got to see. Sin deserves silence. There is just no cause for celebration when there is sin. But the pain of God's discipline revives praise. You know, one of the longest-lasting, all-time hit songs in our church's worship repertoire is this song entitled, Blessed Be Your Name, right? It's stuck with agape for a long, long time. I mean, people who have uh, been away from our church for a season, and they come back and they're like, oh my goodness, we're still singing this song. And, uh, you know, we've sung it in just all kinds of seasons in our church life. And recently, just a couple of weeks, uh, weeks ago, we sang it again. And it felt so different singing, you give and take away, you give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. It's so different singing this in the midst of the COVID season. Now imagine if you were not a Christian and you heard this song being sung in a church, you'd be so offended. It sounds totally insensitive and heartless. What do you mean God gives and takes away? These are people's lives, right? And why should we still bless His name in a horrible time like this? But for the Christian She knows that even the worst of times serves her ultimate good. The believer knows that God remains assuredly good and glorious even if the whole world crumbles all around. And so over the past year, a very difficult year, every Sunday that we have gathered for worship, we've rediscovered again and again how faithful and true our God is. By His mercy, He does not treat us as our sins deserve. And even in His discipline, His anger is but a moment, but His covenantal favor is a lifetime. Weeping may endure the night, but with this God, joy comes with the morning. So praise the Lord. What a divine gift to be able to come on a Sunday to praise Him even in the midst of pain. And that's the second divine gift. Let's look now at the third, uh, the gift of clarity in calamity. Now, I don't know about you, but this psalm so far is quite unexpected. It's uh, not quite working out how we thought it would. I mean, it has these beautiful lyrics and, and all of that, but then we look more closely and we see that, oh my, you know, this song isn't as positive and as uplifting as what we thought it initially was. And now as we come to verse 6, oh, the song gets even darker. David says, as for me, I said in my prosperity, 
I shall never be moved. And right here is an honest admission of pride and hubris, right, where we get so caught up in our success and our prosperity, and then we think that, ah, you know what, I've got it all. I'm never going to lose it. I'm at the top, and I'm never going to drop. There's such a self-security and such an arrogance. And then we come to verse 7, and it gets worse. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and then I was dismayed. There's clarity now. Behind all the success and prosperity, behind all of that was a lifetime of favor from God. And God's favor is what allows us to stand as securely as a mountain stands firm. But when God hides His face, when God withdraws His divine favor, then suddenly calamity struck, strikes, rather, and our success, our security, our pride, all of it crumbles, and we are left dismayed and in despair. Now, people, what David is illustrating for us is this thing called functional atheism, all right? Functional atheism. Now, many of you would know the word atheism, uh, that it is the firm belief that there is no God, right? So, atheists would say that, you know, there's no such thing as God. But what is functional atheism? Uh, Dave Furman, I think someone here comes from his church in Dubai, uh, he describes functional atheism like this. It is easy to go about our days as functional atheists. We believe in Jesus, but we live like He does not exist. We go through our days and face our storms, forgetting Jesus and what He has done for us. So functional atheism is, you know, claiming to believe in God, but then living as though you didn't. And that's what David is leading the people to sing about as they dedicate the temple. They're singing about functional atheism. Now imagine if this morning we were to sing a modern version of that during our worship segment earlier. Right? What if we you know, raised our hands and we said, I say I am a Christian, you know, that I love Lord Jesus Christ. I go to church each Sunday, but then to my surprise, I don't believe. I don't believe. What a strange strange song that would be to sing among God's people. And can you imagine if one of the elders had written such a song uh, specifically for our anniversary Sunday service, and it would be bizarre. But you see, that's what David is doing here in verses 6 and 7. And David has two reasons for writing these very strange words. The first reason is obvious. You see, all of us struggle with functional atheism. That is just a part of our sinful condition. There's a, there's a pride in us that says, I am what I am because of me. Right? And, and the proud functional atheist says, I am so great because of me. And at the same time, the proud functional atheist says, I am so lousy because of me. Right? So it's all about us. And so in success or in failure, we refuse to look to God. And this is what our hearts are naturally like, even as Christians. Functional atheism is our default, right? Our sinful hearts are by nature godless hearts. And we all struggle with functional atheism. And so that's David's first reason. Now, the second reason that David writes these strange words is to exalt God. Because the truth is, even when we are utterly lost in the depths of our functional atheism, David reminds us that our God is still mighty to save. He is still 
mighty to save. And we see this in verses 8 to 10. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. In verses 6 to 7 earlier, we saw our functional atheism. We saw the calamity that God brought by removing His favor. And now in verses 8 to 10, in the midst of calamity, there's suddenly clarity. Right? There's a realization that, hey, God is God and I am not. There's this realization that, you know, that my life, when it is not lived for the glory of God, it is a, it is a wasted, it is a lost and purposeless life. And so with that clarity, a cry goes out to God for mercy. And there's a rededication to live for His glory. And then we call upon Him as our helper. Now we are a complementarian church, right? We affirm what the Bible says about uh, God's different design for men and for women. And in marriage, recognize the, the, that the wife's role is one of submission to the husband. And that the wife is to be the helper to the husband. But in our culture today, this is a very unpopular view. You know, it's seen as uh, sexist, oppressive, and uh, it's seen as an excuse for men to abuse their spouses. But here in verse 10, David calls God his helper. Now, what does it mean for God to be our helper? Right? Does God become this docile, domesticated, silent, passive servant who then, you know, exists solely to fulfill our twisted pleasures. But no, no, in the Bible, a helper is someone who empowers, who liberates, who redeems, who saves, who lifts up, who increases strength and perseverance and endurance. The helper is the one who makes us prosper. And that's what it means for a wife to be the helper. It is a superhuman uh, role to play. And today, you know, being my wedding anniversary, wow, I praise God for granting me such a capable helper. You know, she is superhuman in her love and in her convictions and in her endurance with me. But praise God that we get to call God our helper. People, we are in covenant with the God who clarifies the condition of our hearts, who clarifies the purposes of our lives, who clarifies our desperate need of Him. And this God is our helper. And every Sunday, this has been our experience. We come to the worship services, you know, we're often defined by the successes and the failures that we've experienced, our gains, our losses. And when we come in, you know, many times you think, ah, oh, you know, I just, I just need more time, I just need more money, you know, if God would just give me more comfort, more friends, give me more justice, and so on. And we have all those longings and then we leave the service and suddenly we, we have this sense that, you know what, I want more of God. He is my helper. God, would you be my helper? And it's amazing, you know, how, how often we walk in on a Sunday morning as functional atheists, but then we leave our worship services as worshipers of God. And praise the Lord. It is a divine gift to be able to come on a Sunday to gain clarity even in the midst of calamity. And so that's the third divine gift. Let's now look at the fourth and final 
the gift of gratitude for grace. So Psalm 30 so far has led us to see that this world is broken, it's sorrowful, uh, that our sin provokes God to anger and to painful discipline. And finally, that even as believers, we often live as functional atheists. But nevertheless, this song also tells us that even in such a sorrow-filled world, our God is reason enough for celebration. That even though our sins provoke God to painful discipline, His anger is only for a moment, but His favor is for a lifetime. That even in our functional atheism, God is still our helper. And now we come to verses 11 and 12, and David leads us into joy. You, O God, have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. The final word for the Christian is never grief or sorrow or loss or pain or weeping. The final word for the church of Jesus Christ is the grace of God. That's what we sing on Sundays. My sin, oh the bliss of that very thought, my sin not in part but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. O death, where is your sting? O pain, where is your potency? O sorrow, where is your dominion? It is Christ who holds the keys of death and hell. He is Lord. And so the grace of God has the final word. Celebration will triumph over sorrow. Praise will prevail over pain. And clarity will overcome calamity. Joy will come in the morning. Now, in light of all God's goodness towards us, all these benefits that we receive, how should we respond? David says at the end of the psalm, Oh, oh sorry. Yeah, he says at the end of the psalm, O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. And so our response to God's grace must be gratitude. You know, over this past year of marriage, I've learned that I'm not a particularly grateful uh, person. All right? My wife, Crystal, on the other hand, she is full of sincere gratitude. She thanks me for everything. Sometimes even before I have done something, she's already thanking me for it. And that's, that's who she is, you know. But for me, I, I, really, I realize I don't really like gratitude. Right? I, I often find it a formality. The picture that comes to my mind is a parent like nudging the kid and you say, boy, what must you say? Uh, uh, thank you, uncle. Right? Thank you, auntie. Right? So it's very transactional. Right? It's very forced. And many times it feels like that even before God. Right? When praying with others, sometimes it feels like we thank God just for the sake of it. And, you know, or, or that we thank God as an introduction to the main part of the prayer, which is that we want to ask for what we want. And so thanking God sometimes feels like a kind of appetizer that leads up to the main cause of asking God for help, you know, with our exams, our bosses, our situations, and so on. And the asking feels like what is important, not the thanksgiving. And so for the longest time, I found that I, it was very difficult for me to thank God in my prayers unless I really, really felt like I was grateful for something. And I instead would use phrases like, oh, I exalt you, O God. I magnify you, I praise you, I worship you, and so on. Because having to thank God felt like a formality, it felt forced. 
But then I started to look at the scriptures and I realized that thanksgiving is way more central to the Christian life than even I had imagined. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, there were Levites who were specifically appointed to minister at the temple by doing nothing except to give thanks to God. And they, they would do that for hours, just giving thanks to God. For hours they would do that. In the New Testament, uh, when Paul looks at the problem of sin in the book of Romans, he says this, For although they knew God, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. Right? Paul is saying that one of the key problems of sin, one of the key manifestations of sin is a lack of gratitude towards God. In Ephesians 5, Paul talks about the Christian life and he describes it like this. Oh, sorry. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. We put away our sinful practices as Christians, and instead, we take up the practice of thanksgiving. And there are all these other passages that, you know, they call us as Christians to abound in thanksgiving and, and to be thankful and to give thanks in whatever we do. But there's this one final passage which is just mind-blowing. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. No, gratitude isn't just like, you know, something we do, right? It's not secondary. It's not unnecessary, right? Thanksgiving is definitely not a formality. God saved us in Christ so that we can give thanks to Him, right? This is God's desire for us, His will for us that we give thanks in all circumstances. And if you look through the entire psalm, you realize that to, that to David, the temple is a reminder that God is worthy of all our gratitude because He is the God of grace. The temple is where the people sing, is He worthy? Is He worthy? He is. And for us who belong to the greater temple of the Holy Spirit, the church of Jesus Christ, our response must be one of tremendous gratitude. Hebrews 12 verse 28 says this, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. This Friday, we are going to be going out to Pekio to, uh, you know, to give a, a very special gift for our anniversary, uh, just to bless the, the community. And I think this might be the first time we are, we've done something like this on this occasion. And the reason we are having this distribution is really a gratitude for all that God has done for us. This past year, we have experienced God's protection of our church. We've experienced His financial provision. He's helped us navigate um, a second tricky year in this pandemic. He has seen us through all manner of difficulties. He's kept the church together, unified. He's even deepened our bonds within the church family, despite all kinds of safety measures and regulations and so on. But more than that, Sunday after Sunday, He has allowed us to gather in His presence to worship together and to hear the wonders of His grace. To hear that though our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. And to find that there is such hope in the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And we want to be grateful that we have received a kingdom 
that cannot be shaken. And as we go through Pekyo among the different blocks, meeting different residents, we want to be ourselves, that song of thanksgiving in the community. That as we go from door to door, the hearts of the residents would hear these words, Is He worthy? Is He worthy? Yes, He is. And as you see residents opening their doors to you, I, I, want, I just want to encourage you to remember again the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that it is grace. It is grace that has opened the door to the blessings of gratitude in your life. You know, without grace, liberated gratitude, we would only have our sorrows. There would just be no cause for celebration. Without grace, liberated gratitude, we would only be left without pain, without any ability to praise God. Without grace, liberated gratitude, all the calamity in our lives would just be meaningless chaos, and there would be no clarity about our hearts, about God's purposes, and of our great need for Him. But because of grace, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our mourning has been turned into dancing. Our sackcloth of sorrow has been replaced with garments of great joy. Our hearts can now sing and we need no longer keep silent. Praise the Lord. Would you join me? Let's draw near to Him right now in prayer. Now, before I, I lead us into prayer, I just want to invite you from wherever you are to you know, from your chairs and seated where you are, to lift up your own prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord. To thank Him for this church. To thank Him for using us to proclaim His grace week after week. To thank Him for using this church to fill your heart with faith. And so would you take a moment to just open your mouths and to give Him your thanks and your gratitude. Oh Lord, we are so thankful to you, Lord. Lord, we are grateful to you, Lord. You've treated us abundantly. You've given us so much, Lord. Father, we are amazed at your love. We are amazed at how you've given us your son. We are amazed of the inheritance we have in your spirit. We're thankful for keeping the, the doors of this church open. Lord, we're thankful, Lord, that you've allowed us to worship you week after week, to honor you, to be reminded of your glorious grace. Lord, we are thankful, Lord, that we can meet one another face to face to encourage one another, to share in sorrows and in griefs and in joys and in celebrations. Lord, we are thankful, O oh God, Lord, for the opportunity to see the little children growing up uh, week by week as well. Seeing them, Lord God, gaining a love for you, gaining a love for your people. Oh, we are thankful, Lord, for to, to be able to receive the word of God. We're thankful, O oh God, Lord, for how you've blessed us, Lord. You've been so rich and so generous to us, Lord. Oh God, we give you praise. Father, we want to celebrate you this morning. We acknowledge that you are the builder of this church, that you are the God who disciplines and purifies us of our sins for our good and unto your glory, Lord. You are the covenantal God of grace. Lord, we want to thank you for the blessing of our Sunday worship services every morning this past year, Lord. Lord, every week you've spoken your peace, Lord. You've spoken good news over us, Lord. You've led us to celebrate, to praise, Lord, to clarity and to be grateful, even in times that are difficult. Father, Lord, a new, head, uh, a new year is laid out ahead of us, Lord. We ask that by your grace, you would keep us close to you. You keep us loving you. You allow us to worship you each Sunday. 
and Lord, more of us to be able to do so as well. And Father, this Friday, as we go out to pick you, Lord, we ask that you'd give us a chance to behold your glory, Lord, that the residents would also see your faithfulness, your greatness, and Lord, that you would be extolled, your name would be hallowed, and that Jesus would be seen as worthy of God. And so, Father, we lift our hearts to you, we praise you, we give you our gratitude. And all of God's people say, Amen. Now, I know we don't do this very often, especially at the end of the, of the service, but we are a clappy church, all right? We love to clap. Today, we've clapped multiple times. So now, would you put your hands together? Let's give an applause to the Lord, just to thank Him for all His goodness, for all His mercies, for His faithfulness, and for His steadfast love. Amen, amen. Now, I want to invite you to open up your hearts and your hands to receive the blessing of the benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority, and all gratitude before all time and now and forever. Amen. For those of you online, we have come to the end of our service. Uh, We hope really to see you uh, next Sunday. The Lord bless you. For the rest of us here, uh, please stay seated and Pastor Tom will now lead us in the communion. If you have not yet uh, gotten a uh, communion elements, please raise your hands so that the ashes can help us with it. There are some hands up here in the front as well, uh, in the middle of the row here. Uh, at the back, everybody's okay? Okay. I'm sure your heart has been prepared by the Lord. 